The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. A market in meltdown. Futures lower again as stocks posted their worst day in nearly two years. Inflation and fears of a slowing economy cutting into everything. Target losing one quarter of its value on Wednesday alone. Its worst day in more than 30 years. It is all about spending and the consumer as prices on everything from milk to gasoline surge, and many believe they are not going to come down anytime soon, as what you pay at the pump and to cool your home this summer may actually be going higher. It is Thursday, May 19th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning here in America and in Europe and good evening in Asia. Thanks for joining us on what is going to be no doubt a very busy Thursday. I am Brian Sullivan. Let us jump right in now. And while it's early, it's looking like it could be another rough day on Wall Street. Futures, they are lower again. They are down across the board with all the major indexes down about 1%. The Dow off 400 points. The Nasdaq down 200. This after a nearly 1,200 point loss for the Dow and more than 4% drop for the S&P 500, their worst days since the pandemic hit in 2020. NASDAQ 100, it lost 5%. How bad was it internally? Only eight S&P 500 stocks rose. That's it. 11 of those names fell over 10%, led by Target's staggering 25% drop. That's its worst day since Black Monday, October 19th, 1987. All ahead of the open, here's where we stand. The Dow about 15% from its all-time high. The S&P 18, but the NASDAQ and big tech is where most of the pain has been. It is down 30% from its all-time highs hit just in November of last year. Small caps, the Russell 2000 down 28%. And the transports, often seen as a leading economic indicator, down nearly 25% from their all-time high. Market fear sending buyers back into bonds and yields fell right near the 10-year yield does remain under 3%. In fact, at 2.84%. And energy, which may be one of the biggest reasons, if not the biggest reason, for this inflation-led sell-off. Oil did fall a bit on Wednesday. Right now, crude is lower, just below 110 bucks a barrel, actually at 108.40 here. In fact, if you note, it's exactly on parity with Brent crude. Normally, Brent crude, which is traded overseas, is more expensive. They're exactly the same right now, maybe because the U.S. dollar has surged so much. Natural gas, though, it actually rose on Wednesday, one of the few things in the green. But that means that things like your utility bill, air conditioning, the cost of manufacturing will likely also keep going up into the summer. And in crypto, we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether all fractionally right now. In fact, all the major coins are down By the way, the CEO of Blockchain.com will be joining us in a few minutes to talk more about crypto and the markets. They are one of CNBC's Disruptor 50 companies for 2022. All right, let's get a quick check around the world. The pain continuing globally as well. 
mostly red arrows in Asia overnight. Hong Kong down two and a half percent. A lot of real concerns about the Chinese economy. Japan also down. The U.K. market in Europe, it fell or is falling by more than two percent. In fact, in many ways, inflation there is even worse than here. All the major averages in Europe are down by more than one percent right now. So let us begin right there on stocks. And your first guest put out a note recently saying the bottom is probably not here yet because of a lack of washed out readings. But that was before yesterday's collapse, where, as we said, only eight S&P 500 stocks rose. Volume on the downside, 10 times higher than the upside. And the VIX, the fear gauge, soaring above 30. Does that change Craig Johnson's mind? He is the chief market technician of Piper Sandler, and he joins us now. Craig, good to have you on. Uh, futures indicating it may not have been a washout. They are down. But yesterday was one of the worst days internally that we have seen in years, if not decades, do you feel like we are getting close, at least, to some kind of washout bottom? You know, Brian, it's kind of like that family road trip that you and I have uh, experienced uh, as parents. Uh, they keep asking you in the back of the seat, are we there yet, Dad? Are we there yet? And I think uh, at this point in time, the answer is no. Uh, we did see, obviously, significant selling pressure yesterday. But when I go through and I just look at some basic indicators, percent of stocks above 200-day moving average, I look at RSI, I'll look at MACD, I'll even look at uh, our 40-week technique. They're not at levels yet that are commensurate with uh, historical washouts that you and I have talked about in 2020 or in 2018 at this point in time. So I think the answer is there's still more downside to go. And if I was to frame that up for you, Brian, if you just look at the chart of the S&P 500, you'll see there's a pretty well-defined head and shoulders top that has been formed. And the relief rally we saw two days ago was just that. We couldn't get back above that neckline at 41.23. And the measured downside objective of that head and shoulders top would suggest 3,500 to about 3,600-ish range as sort of that downside objective. So I do think we got about another, call it 10% or so, before we can actually find, I think, a tradable bottom. Yeah, bells and sirens don't ring at tops or bottoms. We kind of never know until we look back at history. So are you looking at those types of technical indicators, the, the, the moving average convergence divergence, the MACD that you had mentioned, the relative strength index, RSI? I mean, will there be some kind of, of white flag that you will see that you'll say, OK, that does look like the bottom? Yeah, Brian, that white flag for us has historically been uh, the data that comes out of our own proprietary uh, uh, data set that we've got here. And we look at our industry groups and how many of those industry groups are below uh, what we would define as a 40-week moving average. And historically, when we've called those bottoms in 2020 and in 2018, right here on this show in the morning, uh, we have found that we were somewhere between 0 and 10%. Now, an updated reading through yesterday shows that we're at 15%. So we don't often see that that indicator stops at 15%. It usually, when it breaks 20, it goes somewhere between 0 and 10%, and we're at 15 now. So that's what I'll be watching. The only risk, Brian, is that indicator could go to zero and stay there for a while, like it did in 2008, uh, 2009 period. I'm not sure that's going to happen this time. Um, I think this indicator is going to do a very good job of steering us into the market, but it's going to come from a lower level. And let me just also add, Brian, that I'm not changing my year-end price objective of uh, 47.75 because I think once we hit this wow. sort of washout point, 
we're going to get a very nice rally in this market. But again, it's going to start from a lower level. What would be the catalyst if you are right? And by the way, over the years, you have been far more right than you've been wrong, Craig. You've called many things and other people went against you and you were right on the money. Uh, What would be the catalyst for that kind of surge back higher? I mean, what, what will change? Inflation's not going away. Well, if we look at what happened with the hometown favorite at Target, right? They got inventory issues, they got cost pressures, they got those uh, items happening. Those are more deflationary than inflationary. And if that starts spreading across the the retail sector, uh, some of these inflationary pressures could start to wane. I'd also suspect you'd see 10-year bond yields start to come down in price. And as all those pieces come together, it's going to become kind of a tug of war with the Fed. Uh, are they still going to go ahead and keep raising, uh, you know, the, the rates? And if, if we continue to see those deflationary sort of trends build, rates are going to come down. And the fact that you got almost eight 25 basis point rate increases priced in, that's probably not going to be reality. And this plays out somewhat like a uh, chicken and egg game with the Fed at this point in time. And you have less than eight uh, increases yeah. priced in. Yeah, and I know the Fed will say that they're not political, and obviously, you know, we can debate that all day long, but the reality is the economy looks like it's on the precipice. We have a big election coming in November. Sounds like you think the Fed could could change their mind. I mean, right now, you know, Jay Powell's saying we're going to cause pain and we're going to take this economy wherever it needs to go to bring down inflation. You wonder how much they're going to stick by that, Craig. I agree. And uh, you just watch the market and then you watch consumers and you look at where a lot of the consumer spending comes from. People watch their portfolios. There's a lot of good retired people here in this country and they're watching these shows. And Brian, when they start seeing their portfolios go down in value, uh, they're starting to make choices in terms of how they're going to spend money, which, again, would be a sort of another deflationary type trend if they start pulling in the reins on uh, the consumer spending. Is there one thing more than anything else, Craig, that you are watching? Is there one pain point, one indicator, one signal, anything quickly that that you can point to and and look at the most closely? The most, the signal, Brian, is going to be my 40-week indicator and how many groups are still above that 40-week moving average. That is what I'll be watching here to see when that bottom actually uh, is formed and is set. And that'll be the indicator for me. Craig Johnson, Piper Sandler, watching all the indicators there and seeing potentially going down to 3,500 on the S&P 500, worst case, but no washout yet. By the way, Jim Cramer would agree, just tweeting at that up as up. Jim doesn't sleep. Uh, Craig, thank you very much. Do appreciate that. Thank you, Brian. All right, let's get down to some of this morning's top other headlines, including the very latest on the rush to fix America's critical baby formula shortage. Bertha Coombs is here with that and more. Good morning, Bertha. Good morning, Brian. President Biden invoking the Defense Production Act in a major step to try to boost the supply of baby formula. The order will require suppliers to direct needed resources to infant formula manufacturers. This comes months after a voluntary formula recall by Abbott Nutrition and closure of its Michigan factory back in February. The president also announcing a program called, quote, Operation fly formula that will use U.S. military aircraft to import formula from overseas. Uh, 
Melvin Capital Management says it will unwind its funds and return cash to investors amid accelerating losses during the market turmoil this year. You'll recall Melvin was one of the biggest victims from the meme stock frenzy last year due to its large short position in GameStop. Citadel and Point72 had to infuse close to $3 billion into the hedge fund to shore up its finances at the time. Fund founder Gabe Plotkin failed to recoup those losses this year. At the end of the first quarter, the fund was down 21%. And Meta, or the company we all formerly knew as Facebook, reportedly pulling back investments in a number of products from a Zoom video chat competitor to Facebook shopping. That according to The Verge. Meta is also freezing hiring for certain engineering roles and low-level data scientists. At an all-hands meeting last week, CEO Mark Zuckerberg not ruling out potential layoffs. Meta shares down more than 39% this year, Brian. We're hearing more and more companies freezing positions. Got to think, you know, we could see pink slips. Yeah, uh, maybe we should just go back to calling them Facebook. Maybe Meta was bad karma. It all kind of started then. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. We'll see you in a few minutes. All right, and we have a lot more to do on this very busy Thursday on deck. Much more on Target and Walmart's retail wreck. Why Stacy Woodlet is expecting more pain for the group, plus the national average for gasoline at all-time highs, over five bucks a gallon in many parts of the country, and sadly, don't expect any relief anytime soon. Paul Sankey is here later on. Your morning RBI and what the market is doing on the verge of doing for the first time in 75 years. Refill that coffee. There's a lot going on. Futures down again. We are back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, let's check out some of the FANG stocks and their drop on their most recent 52-week high. Bertha just talked about Facebook slash Meta. That stock down 50% from its all-time high. Apple off a quarter of 1%. Remember, Apple is such a key component in so many different ETFs. It kind of runs the market in many ways. When it's down, it's hard for the overall market to go higher. And you can see a huge drops there from their 52-week highs. And those on the right 
are the live trades, and we are seeing all the names down across the board. Wow. Remember those highs, by the way, that we showed you? They were only back in November, six months ago. Quite the turn in a very short amount of time. All right, time now for your big money movers. Three other key stock headlines that are happening right now in Cisco Systems. At one point, by the way, the most valuable company in the world. Shares down 14% right now. Third quarter earnings did beat forecast, but revenue missed. And Cisco now expects fourth quarter revenue to drop. Analysts had expected up to 5% growth. On the conference call, CEO Chuck Robbins said supply issues were exacerbated by COVID lockdowns in China. And the company is sitting on a record backlog as well as inventory. Robbins saying very simply, quote, we did not have a plan for a country to shut down. By the way, Robbins will be on Squawk on the Street today at 9 a.m. Eastern. Stock number two, Under Armour, also lower by 5%. CEO Patrick Frisk is stepping down on June 1st, just a little more than two years after he replaced founder Kevin Plank at the top of the company. Under Armour says the departure is a, quote, mutual separation. Frisk will be replaced on an interim basis by COO Colin Brown. And stock three is Bath and Body Works, also down after a rough session yesterday. It saw the stock fall some 8%. Company cutting guidance for the year, like many retailers, Bath & Body Works says it is facing higher costs for raw materials, shipping, and labor. Been a really rough run for stocks. That stock fell nearly 9% on Wednesday. All right, so much left to do. And coming up, social media companies under pressure this morning as well as the New York Attorney General ramps up an investigation. The full story and the fallout when we come back. But first... Just who's been hit the hardest this week in the S&P 500? Well, Target, obviously on that list, wiping out a quarter of its value just yesterday. The rest, mostly all retail, Walmart, Bath & Body Works, Dollar Tree. Those are just declines this week. And with the drop right now, Cisco makes that list. Stock futures down across the board. And we are back right after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Today's big number $5,000. That's how much U.S. households will spend on gasoline this year, according to Yardeni Research. That's a 32% increase from March alone and up nearly 80% from last year. Wow, $5,000 this year, up 32%, quite the staggering stat. And by the way, here is another one. 
The AAA national average for a gallon of gasoline across America is $4.59 a gallon. That is up 50% from one year ago. Diesel's even higher, $5.58 a gallon, more than 7 bucks in some parts around here. That's up 76% from a year ago, both at all-time record highs. This even as production in Texas ramps up. And remember, just this Monday, a couple days ago, the White House began its big 160 million barrel release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve that runs through the fall. Joining us now to talk about it all is Sankey Research Independent Analyst Paul Sankey, uh, who has been right on the mark on this story. Paul, you've been talking about these refineries and some of the risks to supplies for a long time. We get some critical inventory data at 1030 this morning. What should we be most closely watching for? Well, uh, I mean, overall, we're looking at demand, obviously, Brian, as you know, and I know you've been on the subject yourself. So the question now is because supply is so weak, uh, when are prices going to go to the point that they destroy demand? And of course, the concern there is that you have to sort of slow down the economy. It becomes a question of destroying the economy in order to rationalize some of these markets. And as you rightly say, one of the big issues is shortage of refining capacity. And I just don't think there's anything the administration can do about that, because obviously building a new refinery in the U.S., which is kind of what you need, uh, is just going to be impossible. Yeah, and forget about uh, building a new one, Paul. I mean, we have lost 50 percent. We had, I think, 14 refineries in the mid-Atlantic to northeast 15 or 20 years ago. We have seven now. One of those obviously destroyed by a 2018 explosion in Philadelphia. That refinery. I just drove by it the other day is being torn down. Uh, I don't want to be some kind of grim reaper here, but what were to happen this summer? Uh, these refineries, the ones that are running, are trying to run at full output because they want to make as much money as possible. What were to happen if we were to have another industrial accident with a refinery this summer anywhere in America? Well, I think you're on the verge of a U.S. oil crisis as it is. And I'm, what I mean, oil crisis, what I'm talking about, obviously, is shortages. Uh, we've never seen inventories this low for distillate, particularly in the Northeast, as you're implying. Uh, we haven't seen gasoline this low at this time of year in history. So the inventories are very low. And the, the refiners are having to decide, you know, do I make distillate because we're so short or do I make gasoline? And someone's going to have to lose, particularly with jet fuel uh, resuming in terms of demand strength over the summer. And of course, gasoline peak driving season coming in. So the concern, as you highlight, is really yeah. hurricane season could cause a lot of problems. We might have a crisis this summer, Brian, I'm telling you. Yeah, it's like you have two kids in one pot. And for breakfast, one kid says they want bacon. The other one says they want sausage. You're not going to cook them together, although that would be delicious. But you have to pick one. And that's kind of where <laughs> that's kind of where refineries are right now, aren't they, Paul? I mean, they've got to choose between do I, do I make diesel and maybe sell it to Europe because they're in a, just as bad of a situation to make more money or gasoline. I mean, how do you, if you're Valero, uh, if you're PBF, if you're Delec, how do you pick? Well, I mean, of course, you know, it's $50 a barrel margins. So what we're saying, and this is an all-time record as well, so they're making an enormous amount of money. So, uh, no, it's extremely difficult. And, and what they do, as you know, is they run a computer program uh, in order to decide, you know, which which way does the oil go? You would think with a strong dollar and with massive prices in the U.S., we wouldn't be exporting. But actually, we're not only exporting to Europe, we're exporting to Latin America because they can't run refineries either. I think this shortage of refining story, refining capacity story, in a world which, for example, in Washington, they really don't understand energy very well, I don't think they get it at all. 
And of course, as you know, in Russia, obviously, you've lost one and a half million barrels a day of refining output there in terms of exports. So, you know, Europe, as you, as you highlight, is a complete mess. The, the good news for U.S. refiners in terms of profitability is we have relatively low natural gas prices. Now, gas here is $8 yeah. per MMBTU. It's not far off an all-time record. But that's an awful lot less than the $30 that you've got in Europe. The world is, the energy world at the moment, Brian, is completely insane. We need to talk more. Yeah, we do. And I think, you know, there's so much talk about the energy transition that may or may not happen. And, you know, people have these takes, Paul. They're like, well, if you don't like the price of gas, just go out and buy an electric car. I think the people that are most hit by the price of gas are the ones that they're not going out and buying a $60,000 EV. And we Brian, have to price, acknowledge the price of an EV, this is the price of an EV is going up. I mean, it's going from 60 to 70,000. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, and Phil LeBeau reported just on that yesterday. Battery prices going up as fast as gas. Paul Sankey of Sankey Research. You've been nailing the story for a long time, my man. Thank you very much for joining Thanks, us. Thanks, Let's hope for no industrial accidents, folks, this summer. We've seen some, and that would be a true crisis. All right. Ahead, we're going to dig into yesterday's market meltdown even further and trying to find a bright spot. <laughs> we're going to show you the only eight stocks in the S&P 500 that rose on Wednesday. We're trying. Dow futures down more than 400. NASDAQ off more than a percent. And we are back right after this. Another rough day on Wall Street could be ahead. Futures, they are down across the board. This after the Dow's worst day since the beginning of the pandemic. The retail markdown rolling on. Target posting its worst day in 30 years. But is this as bad as it gets for big retail? And maybe history has a little good news for you. Your morning RBI is ahead. And why this market meltdown could actually mean a pretty good second half for the year. It is Thursday, May 19th, and the glass, it's always half full here on Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. All right, welcome or welcome back, and good Thursday. Is it Friday yet? Good Thursday morning. I mean, it feels like a like an eight-day week, I know, with these markets, but we are getting there, and good morning. It's just about 5.30 on this Thursday. Let's get right now to stocks of the markets, because that's why you're here. And after a nearly total collapse on Wednesday, and we don't say that word lightly, Futures right now, unfortunately, it looks like that selling could continue. It's early. Things could change. But NASDAQ futures down 200, well more than a percent. Dow futures down 434. Now, if we take a closer look at the past six hours, and again, futures are very thinly traded. I mean, literally one guy in one desk in Europe could come in and make a trade on the futures, the E-mini, whatever it is, and change things around. But futures really taking a turn for the worse right around three o'clock Eastern time. By the way, when the Worldwide exchange team, as good as they are, was hard at work. This after nearly a 1,200-point loss for the Dow, 4% drop for the S&P 500, their worst day since just as the pandemic hit back in March of 2020. The NASDAQ 100, even worse, been a tough year for big tech investors, down 5%. And this maybe is the market stat of the day. How bad was it on Wednesday? Of 500 names, only eight S&P 500 stocks rose, eight you want to see them? Sure you do. TJ Maxx, NRG, Assurant and Progressive, two insurance companies, Electronic Arts, Pinnacle West, Gilead Sciences, and EPAM System. 
That's it. The only eight stocks that rose on Wednesday in the S&P 500. The big question, maybe the only question right now is whether today was the washout. It had a little characteristics. It had huge down volume, about 10 times that of up volume. Nearly every stock, as we just showed you, was lower, and the VIX popped above 30. Craig Johnson of Piper Sandler said we're not at the washout yet. Jim Cramer on Twitter agreeing with him moments ago. Futures would also agree they're down, but at some point, folks, and we probably won't know until we hit it, there will be a short-term bottom. Whether it's the bottom, who knows? Only history. But there will be at some point a short-term bottom. Well, the stock smackdown sent buyers into bonds and yields there fell. The 10-year yield down again, in fact, at 2.84%. Something else to watch, by the way. And we don't talk a lot about credit, but we probably start to need to. Because credit, debt, corporate debt, is starting to look a little shaky. The JNK, which is the most widely held and widely traded high-yield ETF, it continues to fall, indicating concern about the balance sheets of some lower credit-grade companies. The JNK is now down 13% this year. And remember, especially as the credit people will tell you, credit often leads the stock market. Just one more indicator, the JNK, something to watch. All right, let's also watch some of this morning's other top corporate headlines, including the New York Attorney General's office going after some social media companies. Bertha Coombs is back with that. Bertha. Hey, Brian, good morning again. New York Attorney General Letitia James says her office will investigate social media companies, including Amazon's Twitch, 4chan and Discord. This in connection to the racially motivated shooting at a Buffalo supermarket last week that left 10 dead and three injured. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, meantime, confirming it has sent a team to investigate the possibility that a Tesla involved in a California crash, which killed three people, was operating on a partially automated driving system. The investigation is part of a larger inquiry by the agency into crashes involving advanced driver assistance systems, such as Tesla's autopilot. Since uh, 2016, the agency has sent teams to more than 30 crashes in which the systems were either in use or suspected of operating uh, of the 34, 28 involved Teslas. And Kohl's is losing two of its top executives as the retailer searches for a potential buyer amid pressure from activists to sell the business, according to filing. Doug Howe, Kohl's chief merchandising officer, is departing immediately. Craig Neville, its uh, chief marketing officer, is expected to depart June 1st. Those filings coming as Kohl's is set to report its fiscal first quarter earnings ahead of the opening bell this morning, Brian. And Kohl's shares, mm. not spared from yesterday's sell-off, coming off an 11% loss, which puts it down for the year by about 12%. And Brian, the sad thing is, that makes it a relative outperformer compared to Target. I mean, that says Target's something. Target's results are so you're, bad. You're down that much. Right. And you're doing better, right? Yeah. Hey, Dad, I got a C minus, but don't worry because my brother got a D plus. Bertha, thank you very much. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, C minus, I wish. All right, let's stick with that theme. In Wednesday's retail wreck, you had Target. Target lost nearly a quarter of its market value in one day, wiping out almost two years of stock gains, its worst day in 35 years. But it wasn't just them, although they bore the brunt. 
pain being felt across the retail sector. Best Buy, Macy's, Dollar General, Kohl's, Bertha just talked about all losing around 10 percent. Walmart, Home Depot, Lowe's extending losses from earlier in the week, all coming off 6 percent declines. Investors really throwing the baby out with the bed, bath and beyond water. Or maybe this is just the start of a bigger consumer driven correction. Joining us now is SW Retail Advisors President Stacy Widlitz. Stacy, it's good to have you on at this at this critical time. And, you know, as you know, you know, my wife, she works at Consumer Products. So we talk about this around the dinner table. I mean, we went from extreme pricing power from the retailers just a few months ago to seemingly almost no pricing power and no ability to, to raise prices, even as their costs go up. I mean, what happened? It's like the light switch literally went from on to off. Brian, I can't, you know, I've been on your show how many times in the past two years where we talked about this very fact, which is COVID was this period of time where there was no inventory. So everybody was selling stuff full price and companies were telling us, oh, this is the new normal. This can be our permanent margins. We'll just sell less stuff at higher margin. Well, here we are. The the circle of life in retail has come full circle. And once again, we are over inventoried. Target's a great example. Inventory up 43%, sales up four. We know what happens in those situations. Margin pressure, markdowns. So we're right back to pre-COVID where we're going to see accelerated markdowns. Um, you know, and, and particularly when you hear 700 billion combined revenues, Walmart and Target tell us that they were blindsided by consumer behavior changes and costs. That absolutely shook retail to the core yesterday. Yeah. I mean, listen, these CEOs, and I'm not going to pick on one over the other. These CEOs, they make tens of millions of dollars, and they have one job. You know what that job is? That job is to predict. It's like the movie Margin Call. I don't know if you saw it, a great movie, by the way, about the financial crisis, where the CEO of the financial firm says, my job is to know when the music stops. That's it. That's their job. And they all missed it. How did they miss it? How did they miss the consumer who shut off spending, or at least on higher margin items, in such a quick period of time? What did they not see? You know, it's a great question because we all knew that we were lapping stimulus. We all knew that inflation has gone crazy and it's over 8% in the U.S. and over 9% in the U.K. You know, we, we know what's going to happen. Historically, we know that consumers trade down, they go private label, they start buying smaller sizes. We know all these things. And Yet they seem to be somewhat surprised at the speed it happened. We also saw a shift away from higher ticket items discretionary, again, into essentials. Should we have seen this coming? Probably a good part of it, yes. The cost part of it probably happened a lot faster and was more extreme than anybody expected. Is there any company out there, retailer, that maybe in your mind, at least right now, Stacey, has gotten it right or at least maybe less bad than some of the others? I mean, listen, we're going to find out in a couple of years that some of these stocks probably did not deserve to go down as much as they are right now. But the market doesn't care. It's just throwing gasoline and a lit match on pretty much every stock that it can. At some point, somebody's going to come out a winner out of this, I assume. And that's the opportunity right now, because certainly we've seen the retail index down well over 30 percent at this point. And there are names that if you look at a multi-year outlook, like a Nike who's going DTC, who's taking back control of their brand, who still has the brand heat. Yes, 20 percent of their business is in China, which is 
problematic in itself, closed down basically. Yes, you know, consumer spending is coming in, but if you look at a long-term opportunity, there are absolutely brands like a Nike you want to pick up. And, you know, I would say we're also looking at a point in time where there's massive disruption with inflation and costs. And you look at Target, their traffic was still up. I mean, you know, Walmart was all ticket. So there will be some incredible long-term opportunities coming out of this, but there's probably more pain to come with markdowns, particularly in the apparel space. Maybe good for TJ Maxx is one of only eight S&P 500 stocks that rose yesterday. They love higher inventories. They want to buy them all up for pennies on the dollar. Into their stores and sell it to you. Oh, yes. This is the best environment. They they are. Yeah. The treasure hunt shopping. TJ Maxx loves their mistakes. Stacey Widlitz, SW Retail Advisor. Stacey, love having you on. As always, have a great day. Thank you. Good to see you, Brian. All right, coming up, today's RBI and what the market is on the verge of doing for the first time in 75 years. And with it, maybe a little good news for the second half of the year. Promise, as we had to break where we stand right now, you've got futures down across the board, more than 1%. Dow futures off 400. The European market's off 1.5 to 2%. Crypto also down. Could be another rough day on the street of dreams. We're glad you're with us, though, and we're back right after this. All right, welcome back. Let's get a check now on these markets with the Dow futures down about 400 plus points. NASDAQ futures off more than 1%. Some of the biggest decliners in the pre-market, you've got Cisco Systems. It is off about 14% after cutting guidance. You've got Visa down. Obviously, what we just talked about, concerns about the consumer. And Salesforce.com is also lower across the board. Could be another rough day. Dow futures off 440 points. Well, time for your morning RBI, and today it's all about the markets and your money. What else? Because there are some really random and interesting things going on right now. Let's highlight two of them. Now, one of those, as Jim Paulson of the Luthode Group just wrote in a note, is actually useless but interesting. That's his term, not ours. But we actually think it is very interesting, so we're just going to politely lift it. Every single bear market after World War II has been preceded by at least one drop or 10% or more. In fact, In three of the last five, as Paulson notes, the S&P 500 fell 10% or more at least five times before the bear market hits, but not this time. In fact, according to Paulson, this would be the first time in 75 years that the S&P 500 goes into a bear market without a 10% drop at first. Huh. Thank you, Jim. The next one comes from Charlie Bellello of Compound Capital, and this is a pure combination of bad news with... A little bit of maybe good news. Always take the bad news first, by the way. And here it is. With yesterday's drop, the S&P 500 is down nearly 18% this year. And that is the second worst start to a year ever. It is slightly worse than 1939 and 1970s big drops. And only second to the massive 1932 drop of 33% right as the depression hit. Ouch. But there may be some good news here. As Bellello notes, in each of those years, the market actually rose a pretty good amount for the remainder of the year, up 27% from today through December 31st in 1932, and 15 and 19% each in 1939 and 1970. Those gains not quite positive enough to get back into the green for the year, but they certainly took some of the sting out of those years. That does not mean that will happen again this year. But who can blame us for looking for a little historical bright spot 
in an otherwise nasty year. Hopefully random, but interesting. We'll see. Craig Johnson, by the way, you heard him earlier, may agree. Well, the 10th annual CBC Disruptor 50 list was unveiled earlier this week. This year's list coming amid a challenge for market and economy-based venture-backed companies, with investors pushing down both public and private stock valuations. Of the 50 firms that made our cut, eight are involved in fintech and crypto, including your next guest. That space has seen much volatility, especially as of late. Peter Smith, the CEO of Blockchain.com, they offer crypto trading and other services, both retail and institutional customers, and really timely to have him on. And Peter, I guess, and I mean this with affection, you're kind of an old hand at this business. You guys have been around for years. You're one of the earliest companies in the space. You have grown, you have learned, you have adapted. So congratulations on making that list as well. I'm sure people are just asking you, what the heck is going on? What's your answer? Well, first of all, it's a real privilege to be in the top 10 of the list. Um, We appreciate the honor. I think, you know, what's going on in the market right now is a washout of risk and leverage across the entire global market system. You know, and certainly in crypto, we felt that very keenly, uh, particularly in the last few weeks. I think one of the things that I've been saying on CNBC, actually, for a really long time, is that this is going to be a very long process of adoption and growth. And so when you're thinking about a crypto position, you need to average into it slowly and plan to hold it for quite some time because we're still in a really nascent period of building this whole financial system out. Yeah, is there going to be, I mean, we talk about the stock market turning in some sort of, you know, bottom signal, Peter, and who knows, I guess history will tell us. But from where you sit, running this this multi-billion dollar corporation, you know, is there something that you're looking for that's going to tell you, huh, that's the turn? Yeah, you know, when uh, we see more buyers and sellers. But, um, you know, small jokes aside, I think what you need to see is consolidation in both the market itself as well as companies serving the market. So, you know, what I would expect to happen over the next few weeks after we've seen this really dramatic pull down in the market is some of the risks yeah. start to, you know, be exposed throughout the ecosystem. So companies that haven't been managing their risk appropriately, trading firms that haven't been managing their risk appropriately, you know, the shutdown of funds, and it's going to take a few weeks, if not months, to see the ripple out effect of a, you know, really brutal two or three weeks of crypto. The good news is I think there's never been yeah, more opportunity I, in the space. You know, people, I, I, all I read pretty much is history and because I like to know the future. I mean, history does repeat itself. And in the 1870s, and don't quote me on the numbers, Peter, there were probably a couple hundred railroads that went down to five or 10, 30 years later. There were probably a couple hundred radio companies in the 1920s, a couple hundred car companies. And they all whittled down to three or four big winners over time in every industry. I know as painful as it was for for Terra and those companies, do we need that washout? Do we need some of these weaker players, I hate to say it, to go away, consolidation, the big get better and stronger, and the rest find something else to do? I know it sounds tough. Yeah, I mean, I really believe in the creative destruction process of capitalism. And I think you're seeing that play out in the market today. You know, what I will say about financial services, you usually end up with a lot more companies. You know, it's not like railroads or cars. There's a lot of valuable financial services companies in the traditional market today. So I think there will be more companies in the segment. But there are a lot of companies that, you know, we do in protocols and assets that we do need that process of creative destruction to come through the market and really make the market a lot stronger. Um, You know, as you said, I've been doing this a really long time. And I've seen this play out 
you know, these market cycles, this is going to be my fourth or fifth market cycle, depending on how you count it. And yeah, every single time it's been brutal pain on the way in, but it's led to a much stronger industry, a much more useful industry and real fundamental growth over the, you know, two and three years that follow. Yeah. So as hard as it is great, today, great context. Yeah. yeah. Peter, we got to leave it there, my man. I apologize. We're heading into break. It's the vagaries of live morning television. Congrats on making the list. Thank you for your calm and steady hand. We need it right now. Peter Smith, thank you very much. Blockchain.com. Thank you. All right, on deck, Victoria Green is here. She nailed her call on energy. Is she sticking by it? We'll find out next. Back futures, they are down across the board right now. But as tough as the market has been, your next guest says it could get even tougher in the near term. Joining us now is Victoria Green of G-Squared Asset Management, or Private Wealth, rather. Uh, Victoria, it's great to have you back on. Uh, futures, I mean, they're down again. The markets have been brutal. I know it's been a very tough year. Let's keep it in perspective. The S&P 500 is still up like 80% off its pandemic lows. So there is that. I'm trying to find a little bit of a bright spot. Where are you investing right now? Yeah, I'm trying. Where are you investing right now? Look, we're trying to play defense right now. We're, we're investing in high quality and dividends and energy. All you're trying to do is survive this. It's going to probably get a little bit worse before it gets better. I know yesterday was ugly, but I don't think that's full capitulation yet. You did start to see some of the value stocks get dragged down a little bit and more of a broad-based sell-off beyond just tech. But right now, you really need to focus on quality cash flow and survival rather than chasing after growth. I mean, yeah, we want to buy low and sell high, right? I mean, fortunes are made in the worst markets. You have to buy companies that are going to be around and be a lot higher in 10 years. So with that in mind, who are some of those companies, Victoria? <laughs> we still like the energy sector right now. Uh, we, we love uh, Devon Energy, EOG, Diamondback, all of the U.S. EMPs. Look, the energy market had a, a shift with the Russian invasion in Ukraine. Uh, we think that U.S. EMP producers, especially in the Permian with low break-evens, are a really great place to be right now and a place to weather some of the storm. Uh, you know, they're having like almost a 12 to 13 percent yield off their cash flow because of what they're paying out in the variable dividends. And they're really trading about a 10 to 12 P.E. They're very, very uh, reasonably valued. I want to be in stocks like that right now. I want to be somewhere that I'm going to get paid to wait. You know, yes, down the road. Um, are we going to see tech eventually come back? Absolutely. But right now I'm not chasing that and I want to play defense and I want to be in my energy stocks. Wow. And what about IBM? I mean, switching gears completely. It's been a name you've talked about in the past. I mean, kind of still a confusing company to a lot of people. You love IBM. How come? I do. I do. It's hard not to love Big Blue. They're, they're a transformative story. They are transforming to this hybrid cloud company from the services company. They've done this before. They've reinvented their company multiple times in the past. And it is a really great turnaround story. It's also a 5% dividend yield. It's got very secure revenue streams and it prints cash. So uh, I do like some of my old tech. I know Cisco missed really hard. They're not really my favorite, but I think IBM is also one of those good quality stocks you can hide in right now. And I'm, I, what I'm looking for a lot in stocks like that is do we have sustainable cash flows? If you get stressed and under pressure, do I think you can still have good cash coming in and good revenues? And they're one of those shining stars that, yes, I think they're an extremely resilient stock. And I really like the turnaround story. It, it's it's yeah. very misunderstood. They did that spinoff. Kindrel, it's horribly named, but they spun off all of the stuff they wanted to get rid of. So why not own it? Yeah, terrible name, by the way, but maybe a good company longer term. And don't panic sell, I'm sure. Victoria Green of G no. Squared, bring in the heat. Bring in the, bring in the picks, and we love you for it, Victoria. Thank you very much. Have a great day. 
I want what's in her coffee. She's in Texas, by the way. It's like 4.58, whatever out there. Victoria, thank you. Folks, thank you for tuning in. We're back tomorrow with our exclusive insider buying segment. The companies that are being bought by their own executives. That could be a sign of a turn for those names. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk is next. Futures down across the board. Have a good day. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.